Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. We started this section last week. We'll finish it today. But let's look at what God's Word says this morning. Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, then after an interview, inter- interval of 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the, uncircum- to the circumcised. On- they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Well, let's pray this morning over our passage. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask that you would uh, work in our hearts and minds this morning. I pray that as we think about 
what the real gospel is as we think about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for our salvation and our redemption. God, I pray that we would understand the importance of knowing the real gospel and to keep out any false gospels so that we can truly and really know you. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So does anyone have Russian knapweed growing in their lawn? Um, that, that Russian knapweed is mean stuff. Um, Rhonda and I have been fighting it for three and a half, four years now. Um, it is... It is everywhere. And if it, it, it's called an invasive species. If it shows up, it starts taking over everything. And other things don't grow. When we got to our house, when we, when we got our house, we, we began pulling weeds from the backyard because it was just kind of infested. So we began weeding. Now, that's all I do now. Um, I, I come to work. And then I go home and do lawn. That's, that's my life. 24-7, that's all I do. Anyway, um, but we, we go to the house and we pull weeds. And we pulled and pulled and pulled. And, and we knew if, if we did not pull those weeds, they were going to spread all over. So we said, there's a lot of it. We'll get some Roundup and we'll spray it on there and we will kill these weeds. So we sprayed Roundup on this Russian knapweed and it drank it really uh, you know, drink it all in and said, thanks, that was good. And it just started growing more and more. I mean, it just kept going and going. And so we would take a lawnmower and a weed eater, and I nearly died out there. And, you know, taking the weed eater, we got this large hill and trying to cut it down, knowing that it doesn't kill it cutting it down, but it was just overwhelming. And so we said, okay, we're going to call in the big guns. So we called professional weed killers. These guys came out, and, and he, he sprayed these weeds. And, and it looks like it's beginning to have some effect. But I sat and talked to this, this, uh, the guy who sprays, and I said, man, what is the deal with this, with this weed? And he says, you know, this, uh, this Russian knapweed it's really interesting, almost intelligent, he says, that, that it's got this vast root system that's everywhere. So when we were pulling weeds here, we were kind of distressing the root system, but these weeds over here were from the same root system. And so we'd pull over there, and, and it had no problem bringing up more over here once we were done because the root system was still there. And he says it's got this poison in the root system that will, it, it will emit this kind of poison so it will kill any other stuff growing there so it will take over the area. And he says the only thing he's found that will kill it is that, that poison that's called milestone. It is expensive stuff. You go to, you go to the, uh, um, oh, the outfitter down here. Um, what's that? Yeah, no, the, the place right by uh, Harbor Freight. I can't even remember it now. Murdoch's, yes. We'll go to Murdoch's and you can get, 
You can get milestone if you, you know, want to take a second mortgage out on your home. It is expensive stuff. And so this, this powerful poison, he sprays on it. He says, you've got to have enough growth on it to have some, some leaves and some growth so it will soak down into the root system and kill the root. And so, and, and he said, because of what it is, you measure success not in weeks or months, but in years, he said. Now, when we got the place, it hadn't been weeded in probably 25 years. So he says, You're gonna, it's just going to take some time. So next year, our place should look really good, right? Next year. That's what we keep saying. That's what I keep saying. Boy, next year, it's going to be good. going to be great. Anyway, I think about this noxious weed, and you're like, what in the world? Is he? I'm thinking about this noxious weed, and I see this is exactly what Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. There has been a weed that has entered into the garden of the church. And this is an invasive species. And it, it, is, it, will, it, will, it has come in, it has taken root, and it will kill off everything in the area and start taking over. And that weed is the false gospel of works that what we do contributes to our salvation. And Paul says that weed will kill off anything else around. And you can try to pull out this weed person by person, and that's a good thing to do, but the real treatment, the most powerful and effective treatment, is to kill it at its root. And not necessarily by milestone, but by the cornerstone, right? By, by the true gospel of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. That is how you combat the weed of the false gospel. And so last week, as we talked about the beginning of this passage, verses 1 through 5, we said he was fighting this false gospel so that he could see the advance of the real gospel. It's like the idea of taking the weeds out so your lawn can grow. And that is the idea. We fight this so that the real gospel will advance in, in our community and throughout our world. And then he said we also want to, to fight false gospel so that we can free people from their bondage. That there are people in bondage to this idea that I have to do more in order to come to know Christ or to keep my salvation. I have to go to church more. I have to give to the poor more. I have to read my Bible more. I have to pray more. I have to be more. I have to do more. And it's bondage because the path to salvation has been paid through Jesus Christ. And there's freedom in that. And so Paul had a couple more thoughts through this, and I want to finish this today. So we, we fight false gospel to a to advance the real gospel, and to keep people from bondage. But we also fight because we want to keep the true gospel from corruption. We want to keep the, the true gospel from corruption. We see in verse 6, it says this, But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation 
contributed nothing to me. So as we, we read this, we, if we read it in context of verse 2, he talks about the apostles being of high reputation. And he's, he's referring here to those who were pillars in the church. Pa- Peter and Paul, the apostles, and James, the, the Lord's brother, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he says, these men that were famous and other people knew, and everyone would listen to them because of their standings, he said, they do not impact the truth of the gospel. That is to say, your favorite pastor, the guy who has the big church, who... who Um, is a great teacher. And if that person is teaching a false gospel, it doesn't matter how famous he is or how big his church is or how great of a communicator he is. Because what matters is the truth of the gospel. Paul's saying, these people who are of high reputation, they did not tell me what I should preach. They didn't tell me what I could or could not do. They didn't add anything to the gospel. I'm preaching what the Word of God has showed me. I am preaching the truth, Paul says. And these people of high reputation, they are not, they are not adding to me. So he is really summarizing what he said in the previous five verses, that the gospel he preached was the truth, and no one was adding to that for him. There were no works that needed to be sprinkled into his message. There was no secret knowledge that he had that no one else had. The famous preachers didn't have a corner on the market for the gospel. He says if it's the truth, it can be preached. It can be shared. And so he wanted to make sure he went up to Jerusalem not to get the blessings from the big-name preachers. He said he went to make sure that the big-name preachers weren't hindering his ministry because they have some pull, they have some say. And if they were going to start teaching a works-based salvation, it was going to damage the work he has been doing with the Galatian people. So when the gospel, and all this is saying this, when the gospel is corrupted, when someone famous is on the TV and they will refuse to talk about the sin that we are all engulfed in. Or if they will convey the idea that you can take Christianity and mix it with a little bit of Hinduism or, or spiritualism. Or if they are teaching that there's more you must do to keep your salvation. They are corrupting the gospel. And it's leading people astray. And it's not just the people on TV, but that's kind of the point he's making here. Not that the apostles were on TV, but they were the famous men in the church at the time. And so if we believe that our good works play a part in our salvation, and if we think we have to get our life right first to come to know God, then our thinking... What we think about God is is corrupted. 
We think God as one who doesn't want us. We think of him as a temperamental God who says, okay, I will, I will save you, but if you mess up, you're out. And we think of him as, as easily swayed as like the Greek gods of, of the Rome, of, you know, Roman gods and Greek gods of ancient times. And when that is our gospel, we begin to live in fear and live in guilt and live in shame because I cannot be good enough and I cannot do enough. And so it's, it's from people who believe in this type of false gospel that we might hear statements like this that says, I can't come to church because God will strike me with a bolt of lightning. And we might smirk at that, but there are people out there who say, I just, I just can't come to church. I'm too afraid to. I, taught, I had a discussion last week with someone who said that to me. Because they see God as someone who doesn't want them because their works have corrupted them. They understand that, and they think, I've got to get my life right first. And it's trusting in a false gospel that brings fear and guilt and shame. People might say, if I ever try to approach God, he would never forgive me. And all he'll do is punish me, so I don't want to approach God. See, we... We, when we encounter someone like this, someone who, who is based on that, we spend some time, I, I spend time with them. I spend a lot of time talking with them, correcting the person's idea of what the good news of Jesus really is, that it's not based in us, that we cannot do enough. Yes, we are sinful, and there is nothing we can do to get out of that situation. No more than a dead man can climb out of a grave. No more than a deaf person can hear music or a blind man see colors. We are incapable of saving ourselves. But God loves us enough to send us his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's simply telling them the true gospel. We, we want the true gospel from being corrupted because counterfeit gospels just breed more and more falsehoods. It tells us you have to be better. It brings the condemnation that, that, that Satan will bring in your ear that you're a terrible person and you're not a good enough and you'll never be good enough and, and all that. Because counterfeit just brings more and more false ideas. The, the Independent wrote a, wrote a story, had a, reported about a story in 2015 about two brothers. In 2003, these two brothers purchased a portrait of a Spanish artist, Antonio Maria Esquivel. So the picture was of this artist, but it was painted by 
Francisco Goya, and that's a famous painter apparently in, in Spain from a long time ago. And these brothers were going to buy this painting for $270,000 as an investment. And they pulled together $20,000 as a down payment, bought it, and they were going to, they're, they're taking it home. But they first went to an expert who examined it and realized it's a counterfeit, it's fake. So they, they took this to court, and through the court system, they were told, the judge says, well, and it's a really nice painting. Apparently, it's a really good forgery. The judge said, you could keep the counterfeit for the 20000 you spent. You don't have to pay the 270 But they, they kept this counterfeit because they liked the painting, apparently. And, and with it came a certificate of authenticity. And they were able to keep that, too. I don't know how, but they did. So in 2006, they paid 20000 for this counterfeit, and they held on to it. And after several years, in fact, it was December 2014, these two brothers said, hey, let's sell this counterfeit as the real thing and see what kind of money we can get. So they went looking for a middleman to get them somebody who would pay a lot of money. And they found a middleman who said, I can put you in touch with this sheik who will pay $4 million for this painting. And they're like, this is awesome, right? And the middleman says, all you need to do is pay me $30,000. And it was euros, 30,000 euros. And I'll put you in touch with this sheik who will pay 4 million Swiss francs for your, your painting. And so they said, that's great. So they borrowed 300000 from a friend. They went to Turin. And as a down payment, the sheik had paid 1.7 million Swiss francs to these brothers. They opened up the suitcase, saw the 1.7 million francs. They said, this is great. They paid the middleman 300,000 euros. And these brothers went off to Geneva to deposit their $1.7 million on this counterfeit painting. They walk into the bank of Geneva, open it up, and they said, these $1.7 million francs are all counterfeit. They're all copies of francs. And they said, oops. <laughs> you know, they, and they said, okay, we'll just go home. They shut their briefcase, and they're leaving, and they're leaving Geneva, and the the, the French customs arrest them at the border because here's two Spaniards with, with a case, $1.7 million of counterfeit money. So they got a hold of the Spanish authorities and sent them on to jail. And the sheik and the middleman, they're gone, $300,000 euro richer. No one knows where they're at. The counterfeit painting's gone, the money's gone, and these two were in jail. Now, look, these brothers had a counterfeit, and they held on to it. And then they said, we're going to pass this counterfeit along. And it just brought more and more false stuff, more counterfeits. It brought them punishment. It didn't lead anywhere for them. And that's the same for us, I would say, spiritually speaking. And when we 
embrace a gospel that's not a gospel from Scripture. It's one that we might like. It might be we developed it. It might be we hear it from our favorite preacher, but it's not the truth. We find ourselves wrapped up with counterfeit after counterfeit, trying to live a life that's contrary to the way reality is, and it just doesn't work. And the, the tragedy of it is that if we're trusting in that gospel for eternal life, and we were to die and stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The question is, how would you answer that? If you're trusting in the false gospel, you might say, I went to church all the time. I was a pretty good person. I was baptized when I was a kid. I, I really like reading my Bible. If your answer has a lot of I in it, it's a false gospel. It is not trusting in Christ alone. If you are trusting in you to, have, to, to gain forgiveness and eternity, it's not the real gospel. And instead of the inheritance of eternity, if you're trusting in that, you are on a path to hell and eternal punishment. It is an important thing to make sure that the gospel is not corrupted. And so keeping the true gospel from corruption is critical because eternal destinations are dependent in what we trust. And Paul's saying no one, not even the biggest name in Christianity, could sway him from preaching the true, complete, and whole gospel to those who need to hear it. We need the courage to stand on the truth. So we fight false gospel to make the gospel, false doctrine, sorry, to, to protect the work of the gospel to, so that it would advance, so that we keep people from bondage, and we also want to make sure that we keep the true gospel from being added to. But he also says in the last part of this section that we want to keep the freedom to serve Christ. We fight the false doctrine so that we can keep the freedom we have to serve Christ. When Jesus set us free from the power of the law, we were, serve, we, we were, we were free to serve God however he called us to. And false teachers and false doctrine make it impossible for people to serve how God leads. It hinders them. They're always coming up with a new revelation which you cannot access without this teacher. You have to go through him to get this particular teaching, to get this particular blessing, to find out what God has for you. You have to go through someone. You have to do more and be more. But Jesus set us free, and that means that God has moved each of us differently and, and has gifted us differently and is leading us in some ways, differently. As a body, we're moving together. But individually, there are things God called you to do that he didn't call me to do and called me to do things he didn't call you to do. 
So first tells, Paul tells us first, look in verse 7 and 8, that we have different ministries. Verses 7 and 8, he says, But on the contrary, seeing that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. Paul says, I've been called to the, to the Gentile people, people who are not Jewish. Peter was called to those who were Jewish. And we have different ministries because how you minister to a Jewish person is different than how you administer to someone from Galatia. There are different things you would address. The Jews had access to the law, and they completely understood the law for the most part. And Peter could access those images from the law and point them to, to Christ, like the Passover lamb, like um, the, the prophet that's promised that's coming like Moses. I mean, there's all kinds of things that he could point to as a reference point first. But the Gentiles, they had no clue about who Yahweh was. They had no law that God had given to them, and they were, they were ignorant of all of it. And they had to have a different starting place, and that means their ministries looked too different. And so there were rad two radically different ministries they would use two different approaches to reach people God had led them to, but they were both valid ministries. There wasn't one better than the other. There wasn't one that was more preferred by God than the other. God had gifted them and called them and directed them to do different people to build all of God's kingdom. And my point is this. We all have different ministries here. We all have, have different things that God has called us to do. We all have different people in our lives. There are people you know who don't have Christ that I have never met. And you know what, what they're going through. You know their testimony, so to speak, or of what God is doing so far in their life. And God has placed these broken people in your life at this time, and he's working in your life and their life to bring you two together. And that is not my ministry. My ministry is working with the people that God has placed in my life and, and bringing them together, me and, and these people bringing God and them together. And so with different people, with different personalities and different backgrounds engaged in different different ministries, there's a potential for conflict, right? Could, could you imagine Paul saying, hey, Peter, you got to be over here because God has called us to reach the Gentiles. So leave the Jewish people and come with us. And Peter's saying, no, God has called us to the, the Jewish people. You come over and join us here because ours is a better ministry. And Paul's like, no, we get to eat bacon over here. So come over here, you know. And over here, it's like, this is the law. We got the word of God over here. And so there's, you know, ours is better. And there's conflict that could happen. 
And that's why Paul reminds us that even though we have different ministries, in verse 9 he says, And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the, un- to, to the circumcised. So in the different ministries, there was fellowship. There was the same spirit binding them together. There was not a problem with one group ministry in one area and the other in a completely different area in a different way. There was no trouble with that because the fellowship of the Spirit was working, the, the same Spirit working here was the same Spirit that's working in this group. And they said, look what God is doing across the board. This local body is one fellowship. We should have fellowship with with one another. We are part of the larger body of Christ, those that, that believe who Jesus is and what he has done and believe the Bible. There is a greater fellowship there. But here we are one body, one family, working together to become what God wants us to be. And the Holy Spirit binds us together as a family. And so someone has the the gift and the ministry of hospitality and they're doing that work and that's not what you might be called to do. And you might be called to, to minister to a certain people group, seniors or pregnant moms or, or, or whatever it might be. And the Holy Spirit binds us together and says, look, there's no spirit of competition. It's not, hey, look how good this ministry is and, and yours, you know, isn't so great and you should come join us. Or it, It's simply saying it's not a spirit of jealousy or division. We have the same fellowship in the spirit. And I'm not saying that's going on here at all because it isn't, but it's something we always should be looking at and being aware of. That there are different ministries, but there is the same fellowship. And when we have different ministries and the same fellowship, that means we have the same goals. Look in verse 10. We have the same goals. We share the same goals. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Because they were led by the Spirit, both of them, their goals were the same. Here in Galatians, they were ministering to the poor, but they were helping the poor in order to build the kingdom of God. So they were getting money together and getting food so that they could help those. And we can assume the gospel was preached and lived out in a way that those would see it and come to know Christ. And that's why we, as a church, we've worked to have a real clear and compelling mission statement. It's not just a slogan that we can slap on so we sound cool, because I don't know if it all sounds all that cool, but, but it's so that we know where we're going. And it, it's, it's, it's a way, we have a goal as a body. No matter what we're doing, ministering in these different ways, together we have a goal. We've said that Our purpose here at Rosemont is to passionately bring people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. 
And that means our passion's going to spill out of us so we can interact with people in a way that they come face-to-face with Jesus. They either see him in their, in their lives or we are able to get personal time with them so they can sh- we can share with them. But in some way, we get them to a place where they are shown who Jesus is and they come to know him. And that passion looks one way when you're ministering to one person, and it looks a different way, like when when I'm ministering to another person, and when you're doing this, and the other person's doing this, it looks different. It's different ministries, but we have fellowship together, and we have the same goal. We want to see people change for Christ in our community. And the goal is to see that. So we fight false doctrine so we can freely serve Christ in that way. That you can be led where God has called you to be led. And you can serve and and share with who God has called you to share with. I came across a story that said many years ago, there were two students who graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student was a man whose last name was Overton, and he was blind. And when he received his honor for being top of the class, he insisted half the credit should go to his, his friend, whose name was Kasperzak. Kasperzak. And Kasperzak had no arms. So the and what they did, they found each other on campus, and the guy without arms was helping the blind man to go down some steps and help him guide along uh, the, the path as he was walking on campus, and they decided to form a partnership so the blind man would carry the books that they would go to, a, for, for the guy with no arms, they'd go to a study, and the guy with no arms would read the books to the guy who was blind, and together they were able to move forward in class. And so the deficiency of each individual was compensated by the other's ability, and together they did well. And that's a picture of the church. Not one of us can do everything great. But we can do what God has called us to. We'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to. And your ability makes up for for my inability. And your spiritual gift makes up for another's lack of that spiritual gift. And together, we make this incredible body that God has called us together to, to be. And so we have the same goal and the same fellowship, but we have different personalities and different talents and different preferences. And so we work together. And so there's a, in our independence, so to speak, of of being free to serve God, there is a dependence upon one another to become what God has called this body to be. And I think that's the point Paul was trying to make here. That could never happen with the false gospel being 
what was being taught in that church. Because a false gospel begins to put competition with each other. I've, I've done this spiritual thing and you haven't. Look how much closer to God I am than you. I do this and this and you don't and so I must be more spiritual than you. And it creates competition. I'm in this ministry and all you do is this. That's, that's barely anything in the kingdom. And it creates this jealousy and competition and there's no fellowship. There's no common goal because it's all focused on self and you get a whole church that's focused on trying to do what's best for number one. And it creates division and problems. And Paul says the real gospel The real gospel doesn't do that. It brings fellowship and unity. We fight false doctrine because we don't want the gospel added to and we want to be able to serve God as he has called us. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. You know, I don't know how God could use this information in your life. Maybe you're somebody who says, you know, I am trusting God In keeping my salvation, I'm trusting me. Maybe the only reason you came to church today was so that you think you could go to God and say, well, God, I went to church, so you can't put me in hell because I am doing good stuff. That's trusting in yourself. Maybe you've never come to know Christ and trusting in what he did on the cross for your salvation, trusting in that alone. And if that is where you're at, you've never done that before, then today you can trust in him alone. You can give up your works and find the freedom that's found in Christ. Or maybe you're a believer today and you felt like, I just can't be used in the body of Christ, that God doesn't have anything for me to do. Well, that's just just not true. He's working in your life. He's working in the lives of people around you to, for, so that you could bring, bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. As a body, as a body of Christ, we, we work together to push the darkness back in our community and so that the kingdom of God could be known. So maybe today you just need to surrender your life back over to him. Heavenly Father, I come and I ask that you would work through this. God, I know times as we think about false doctrine, we think it's just not all that important. But it is. Eternal destinations are founded on what we trust in and who we trust in. God, help us have a real faith in the and the Jesus of Scripture, not the one that we've created, but who Jesus really is. God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life and then went to the cross, took all my sin and, and your sin and all of our sin, took all of our sin and was laid upon him so that he could die and receive the wrath of God while we receive we receive the 
righteousness of Christ. Help us to trust in that good news and be free in Christ. God, I ask that you would work in our lives right now. I pray that you would move in hearts and minds. And God, whatever uh, you call us to do, I pray we'd have the courage to respond. I pray you would direct us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m., but if you come a little earlier, We'll always have some coffee and snacks and good fellowship before we begin our worship service. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.